Well, good evening. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Suzanne Walker. And I, <laughs> y'all are so funny. I brought something to show you tonight. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> this is my favorite piece of artwork in my house. It looks uh, kind of like scribbles, right? Right? Looks a little messy, right? Yeah, sometimes life is kind of messy. And there was a time, probably about four years ago, when um, I took a good look at my life and I thought, hmm, this surely is not turning out the way I planned it would. right? Sometimes life is messy, but it is in those moments, in those messy moments where the Lord grows us and stretches us. And he gave me this good idea to grab this huge canvas that had been behind my armoire and get some markers and gather in my three kids and ask them, what has the Lord done for us? this week. And every Friday morning, we got the same canvas out, asked the same question, and my kids doodled and drew all over it of things that the Lord had done for us. By the end of the year, we had a lovely product of God's masterpiece working in and through the mess. It's it is on my wall at the top of our stairs. There's a light, and it hangs up there as a daily reminder of what the Lord has done. And that's just one year. Tonight, all we're going to discuss is going to revolve around what the Lord has done. And I believe we will begin to see a purpose for the process of sanctification. Now, last week, Christy defined sanctification very well for us, so I'm going to read what she said. Christy defined it as conformity of heart and life to the will of God. Now, the rest of Exodus is going to expound upon what sanctification is and does. And tonight, I believe we will discover the purpose of sanctification is to prepare the people of God for the glory of God. The purpose of sanctification is to prepare the people of God for the glory of God. First, we will take a close look at sanctification in the life of one man, Jethro. Then we will see the same process on a grander scale as the whole nation of Israel become a people prepared for the glory of God. And lastly, and throughout, we will discuss how we too are becoming a people prepared for the glory of God by way of sanctification. As we begin, we're going to pick up in chapter 18 at the top. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and for God's people, Israel. 
when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he sent her back along with her two sons, one of whose name was Gershom. Because Moses had said, I've been a resident alien in a foreign land. The other, Eliezer, because he had said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Now what stood out to me when reading that are all the names and places that call us to remember what the Lord had done in the life of Moses. Midian, a place where Moses fled, a place of refuge, after Moses in his first attempt to represent his fellow Israelites ended up with him killing an Egyptian guard, he fled to Midian. Midian reminds us also that God took his time preparing Moses, 40 years in Midian. Midian was where Moses met Jethro, shepherded Jethro's flock, married his daughter, and together they had two sons. His first son, Gershom, whose name means I've been a resident alien in a foreign land. This reminds us that Moses knows he is not home. Gershom also serves as a reminder that the Lord enters the foreign land and reveals his rule over it. And we see that back in Exodus chapter 3 when the Lord is speaking to him from the burning bush and he tells him what? Take your shoes off. The place you're standing, that's holy ground. His second son, Eliezer, meaning the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Now, his name reminds us that Moses cannot do any of this alone. He needs God's help. And God had been helping Moses even before he was born. It was the Lord's protection that had kept Moses safe by way of his parents and the basket and Pharaoh's daughter. All the working of the Lord's hand in and through the life of Moses. So Midian, Gershom, Eliezer, they all help us remember what the Lord has done. A people prepared for the glory of God remember what he's done. Next up, we see Jethro meet with Moses, right? They come together, and Moses tells him all the Lord had done in great detail. And then he tells him all the hardships that he had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued them. And we see Jethro respond. He responds to the testimony given concerning the people of God. A people prepared not only remember what the Lord has done, but they respond to what the Lord has done. Jethro listened carefully to every word Moses said as he described the details. And Jethro rejoices. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at just rejoicing. Oh, that's great news. He confesses something. Let's look in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. So not only is his response 
one of joy, but it's one of confession. He confesses that once he did not know this. He did not know that God was greater than all gods, but now he gets it. Our God wants to be known rightly and personally. And Jethro is given this right, high view of God. He rejoices and he confesses. This part made me think, are there any lesser gods in my life lurking in my heart, lurking in my mind? Is there anything that maybe I've deemed more important than God, even for a moment? My confession is this. I've been through trials and storms these past couple of weeks, and I learned that there were some gods lurking in my heart, in my mind, the God of comfort and the God of control. And let me tell you, ladies, they don't make very good gods. They let me down. Oh, but the God of all comfort? The God who's always in control? He doesn't let me down. Jethro's response includes more than a right confession and a right rejoicing. It drives him to do something. What does he do? He brings an offering and he brings sacrifices to God. Verse 12, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. He worships. He worships. Now, what do our right offerings and our sacrifices look like? What is our worship supposed to look like? Well, according to the word of God in Romans 12, 1, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You see, our offerings and our sacrifices and our worship need to be holy and pleasing to God. They need to be what he wants. Jethro is seen to respond rightly here, and he receives a blessing. A people prepared for the glory of God receive the benefits from what God has done. People prepared receive the benefits from what God has done. And the day closes with a reception, right? Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses in the presence of God. Jethro receives a blessing of fellowship. What a joy to be able to to gather together in fellowship under the word of God as believers, and what a greater joy to gather together in the presence of God. They receive fellowship. Jethro receives fellowship with believers and fellowship with God, and we're going to see both of these benefits of fellowship happening in the text tonight. 
So let's look at verse 13 through 14. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge? So Jethro asked some great questions. He has them consider, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Moses answers the what. I make a decision between one man and another, and I teach them God's statutes and laws. He answers the why. Well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Then Jethro, in verses 17 and 18, he tells Moses what? What you are doing is not good. Why? Because judging people's disputes and being a peacemaker is wrong? No. Because teaching them God's statutes and laws are wrong? No. Because he's doing it alone. He's doing it alone. Now listen to me. This is verse 19. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and who hate dishonest profit. Place them over the people as commanders of hundreds and thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure and also all these people will go home satisfied. In this passage, we see Jethro participate in fellowship by offering wise counsel. Now, how did Moses know that his counsel was wise? How do you and I know when we're receiving wise counsel? Because there is wisdom but there is an awful lot of what I call noise out there too, right? You hear it. So how do we know what is wisdom from what is noise? Well, looking right here at this passage, we're going to see some things. Wisdom and noise are in stark contrast to one another. Wisdom is honest, sometimes brutally honest. You cannot do it alone. Moses couldn't do it alone. I certainly can't do it alone. Whatever it is, we cannot do it alone. We need God's help, and quite often we need the help of one another. Wisdom is honest. On the other hand, noise is deceptive. Noise says things like, your happiness comes first. Live according to your truth. Do what makes you feel good. You make the good things happen in your life. Hmm. Hmm. Wisdom also does this. It begins and it ends by pointing us to God. Exodus 19, he starts it out 
I'll give you some advice and God be with you. Then he closes out his advice in, in um, verse 23 when he says, if you do this and God so directs you. Moses is given some solid advice from Jethro. But Jethro makes sure to tell him, don't take my word for it. Go to the source of all wisdom. Go to God. Noise, on the other hand, it begins and ends by pointing us right here to self. It says things like, you are most important. You are worthy of anything that makes you happy, girl. You are your most valuable asset. You don't need to change. You are perfect just the way you are. Mm. Wisdom is biblical. It will not go against the word of God. In our homework, we looked at Titus 1, 5 through 9. And in it, we saw a long list of character traits for those who were going to be chosen as elders and overseers of the church. I picked a favorite. Did anyone pick a favorite from that list? Like, oh, I would definitely, I would definitely pick that one. I picked this one. They should hold to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. You see, wise counsel is biblical and it's infused with sound doctrine. Noise, on the other hand, is contradictory to the word of God. Where the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, noise says there is no God. Or if there is, he's too distant to care what you're doing. Where the Bible says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, noise says chase your dreams. Where the Bible says be humble, noise says get up and show your pride. Where the Bible says there is one way to the Father, noise says there are many. If we could summarize these truths about wisdom versus noise, I would do it like this. Wisdom leads people to love God and love others above yourself. Noise leads people to love themselves above all others. What podcast do you listen to, my friends? What books do you read? What friends are, are in your corner giving you advice? I want to encourage us tonight not to adopt the mottos and the mantras that the world doles out to us. Purge the noise and pursue wisdom.
Moses takes Jethro's advice, all of it, and he acts on it. Chapter 18 sits here, almost kind of oddly, but it sits here as this landmark on the pathway to the presence of God. It's like this little resting place. It's a real-life example of one man's remembering what the Lord has done, responding to it, and receiving the benefits. Now, chapter 18, we're going to zoom out, and we're going to see how this remembering and this responding and this receiving works amongst the whole nation of Israel. And this portion we're going to address is known as part of the Mosaic Covenant, which is the promise laid out by God to Moses for his people. Uh, This covenant is actually spread throughout the remainder of Exodus. So we're going to see it come up again in chapters 23 and 34 with more divine promises and some conditions. So in this particular piece of the Mosaic Covenant, we're going to see the Lord preparing his people for his presence. He is coming. Let's pick up in chapter 19, verse 3. Moses went up the mountain of God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation." Let's look closely at the structure of this piece. First and foundationally, he calls them to remember when he says, you've seen what I did. Then he poetically describes how he carried them on eagles' wings. He swooped down, he picked them up, and they rode through the Red Sea on his wings. And he brought them to himself. He didn't just pick them up with talons, carry them, and plop them down in the desert. Right? He brought them to himself in the wilderness. God has a purpose in the wilderness, ladies. So he calls them to remember what he's done. And he brings them to himself A people prepared remember what God has done. And the second part in this structure is a response. So in view of all the Lord has done, respond. Do you see that process playing out again in this chapter? Remembering what he's done, responding to what he's done. See, God holds out this covenant for his people, but they must respond on to him. In it, he tells them, if you will carefully listen. Some translations say obey. He wants them to see not only what he has done, but also what he will do through their obedience. He will sanctify them in the wilderness. Through Christ's obedience on the cross, we can receive salvation. 
through our obedience, God works it in and through us as a process of sanctification. Obedience is the overflow from our faith that we have in him. Like last week, we learned that he leads his people to trust. That faith we have in him produces an overflow of obedience to him. He's proven himself trustworthy. We trust. So, I want to make sure we understand that obedience does not earn salvation. It does not earn us salvation. Um, I've heard it said like this, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Not, I obey so that I can be accepted. It doesn't work like that. Obedience does not earn us salvation, but God uses obedience to work in and through us to make us more like him who saved us. A people prepared to respond rightly to what God has done by listening carefully and obeying. The Lord also said to keep his covenant. So what exactly does that mean to, to keep it? The Hebrew word here for keep, y'all, shamar, that one's not too bad. Shamar, it means to protect, to guard, to observe, to treasure. This covenant the Israelites received from the Lord, they're to keep it, to guard it, to treasure it. It means something to them. It's special to them. It's precious to them. In their pursuit, not their perfection, of carefully listening and obeying and treasuring the covenant with the Lord, they will be changed. The last part of this structure is receive. A people prepared not only remember what the Lord has done, not only respond to what the Lord has done, but they receive the benefits from what the Lord has done. So here are the promises he's given to them by way of his covenant thus far. If you will, you will be. They are already his people, as we heard back in Exodus chapter 3, when he said he had seen the affliction of my people. They're already his people. They, if, they in the between of if you will and you will be, we see a little bit of tension here because what we are actually looking at is that if they are doing this obedience, if they are obediently living and keeping his covenant with him, then they're going to get something in return. Well, what is it that they get? It's that conformity of heart and life. It's that in that sanctification, they get a change of identity. A change of identity is taking place. Those who were once enslaved, those who were once in darkness, their identity will be transformed by their obedience. And I want you to note what really landed heavy on my heart was that their identity is wrapped up 
in him. Let's look at it. He says, my own possession, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, their identity is wrapped up in him. They will be changed, sanctified through and through, constantly being conformed. God preparing his people for his presence, preparing his people for himself. In 1 Peter, it says this in chapter 1, verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Sanctification makes us holy as he is holy. Our freedom comes in the following, and he leads us to holiness. Our freedom comes in the following, as he leads us to holiness. So there's this podcast that I've been enjoying lately, and one of its most recent episodes was on holiness. So I pulled a quote from um, one of the hosts on the show. Uh, her name is Jackie Hill Perry. Has anybody heard of her? Um, she says this concerning the pursuit of holiness. She says, if I am doing this unto God, for God, in my pursuit of holiness, it doesn't matter if I get anything, I get God. A people prepared for the glory of God, my friends, actually want God. They actually want him. The ultimate benefit is fellowship with God himself. The benefit of pursuing holiness is that we come to know God more and more. It doesn't stop at the introductory meeting of the Lord, but it grows and it progresses and it blossoms through this day in and day out, knowing of God in his word and in prayer. The purpose of salvation and sanctification is glorification because one day, those who are his will be with him in all his unveiled glory. Why do you want heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you want heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? We can have a thousand things on our list for why we want to go to heaven, but number one on the list should be for God. It's for God. When the people of Israel get God, they get it all. They get it all. Their identity is wrapped up in knowing God. Now, the other day, I was in the store, and I overheard this couple talking, I guess, about their daughter. And um, the man mumbled something, and, and the woman came back with, well, you know, she's just trying to figure out um, who she is right now. Ladies, if you want to know your true identity, you have to know God first. Our identity is wrapped up in who God is. 
may we be teaching the younger generations coming up that their identity is not found in what they look like. Their identity is not found in their boyfriend. Our identity is found in God alone. No God, he changes who we are by way of who he is. This portion reveals three things that mark the people of God who are becoming a people prepared for his glory. One, they will be his own possession. Some translations say his treasured possession. And the word here, y'all, Give me grace, okay? Segula describes a king's personal precious treasure. It's precious to him. The picture I see is he is mine and I get to be his. Second, they will be his kingdom of priests. Well, what do priests do? They serve God. They serve God's people. They Help people come to meet God. That's our calling too, as a kingdom of priests. Third, they will be his holy nation. A nation set apart out of all the peoples of the world, they will be his holy nation. And they are set apart for a purpose, to reflect their God. You know him you reflect, reflect him, know him and show him, right? Do our actions reflect that he is our treasure? Do our actions reflect he's our king? Do our actions reflect that he is with us and we know it? Do our actions reflect we're holy, set apart, different as he is? Let's look at Israel's response in verse 8. Aw, Israel. Exodus 19, 8. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. They enter an agreement here, right? We will do it. Exodus 19, 9 through 12. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the, the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared on the third day. For on the third day... The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for, all the, for the people all around the mountain. Be careful that you don't go up on the mountain. He wants him to say this. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. Well, first, we hear good news. He's coming. That is good news. We hear the Lord say, I'm coming to you. That's gospel news. Think of the excitement, right? There was this time that I hosted Christmas at my house, and I was very excited. And I was getting all the cutesy little food things looking like trees and whatnot. And um, then I, I heard that one person in particular had decided to come. And, well, that person was uh, very particular, yes. 
they liked things very organized and very clean and tidy and pretty, and I have three kids, and so I had my work cut out for me. <laughs> we see that God is going to come to the people, and this is good news, but though it's good news, they have some work to do. They need to respond by preparing and preparing in a particular way, his way, his way. And what did he say? Consecrate them. Let's talk about that word consecrate. You probably talked about it in your small groups tonight. Um, You defined it in your study guide, and it took me a while to pin down a good definition, but here's where I landed. Consecrate. To declare something or someone be set apart for God's glory. To declare something or someone be set apart for God's glory. Moses was to go to the people and declare that they were now set apart from the things of the world and set apart for the glory of the Lord. Moses was to declare the people holy. Now their part was to do what? They had to wash their clothes, right? That's an outward sign of a deeper working and cleansing. And two, abstain from sexual relations. Hmm. Was that interesting to anyone else? That's interesting, right? Verse 15, it said, Be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. Why? The worship of the holy God will look differently from the worship of lesser gods. We see pagan nations worship in such a way, but Israel shall not. So Moses is to consecrate them. Then Moses is to warn them. Warn them of what? He tells them to put the boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, Be careful that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. Well, that is some good information to know. Here, back on this mountain, the same mountain as the burning bush, he is coming. This time in a dense cloud with lightning and thunder and smoke and fire and even some earthquakes. This is not a casual meeting of equals. This is God condescending to earth. The presence of God among his people, and it is to be taken seriously. In fact, God speaks to Moses in the thunder and tells him, go back down and warn them again. Read with me. In chapter 19, verse 23 through 25, Moses responded to the Lord. The people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us. Put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. 
right? I mean, he's just telling it back to him. And the Lord replied to him, go down, come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people, and he told them. This week's text began with a hearing of what the Lord had done, and it closes with a warning of what the Lord will do if they fail to approach him his way. The purpose of sanctification is to prepare the people of God for the glory of God. And you and I, we too, we await his coming. We too must be properly prepared. As Moses led the people to meet God, he had to remind them of what the Lord had done. He had to lead them to respond by way of consecration, and now he has to warn them this is no casual meeting of equal parties. This God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. You and I, there, we need to know that there is no amount of external cleansing or abstinence that can make us truly holy as he is holy. You and I, along with the nation of Israel, we are lacking. So how then does anyone approach a holy God? Where's the hope? Jesus said in John 14, 6, if you know it, you can say it with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way through the barriers. He's the only way up the mountain of God. We approach God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that's it. You and I cannot do it alone. We need Jesus. Heed the warning. And my friends, let's give the warning. In closing tonight, and look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Tell the story. We have to tell the story. This verse inspires a challenge, whether we think our story is glamorous and wonderful, or we think it lacks the drama. It's a miracle. Salvation is an absolute miracle. We were dead in our trespasses and sin until Christ. Dead. 
brought to life through Jesus. We can't do that on our own. It's a miracle. Tell your story. Somebody needs to hear it. As we remember what the Lord has done, not only in the miracle of salvation, but also in the process of sanctification, all the hard things in the wilderness of life, as we remember what he's done, tell that story too. Like Moses, how he told him about all the Lord had done and all the hardships. Put the hardships out for people to see. God uses that. Tell your story. As we respond to all the Lord has done, let us pursue holiness by listening carefully and obeying. As we receive the benefits of all he has done for us, May we graciously enter fellowship with other believers, pursuing wisdom and purging the noise. And as we fellowship with God himself, may we find ultimate satisfaction in knowing him, both rightly and personally. Ladies, we get God. We get him. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us? Would you help our little brains comprehend how you are above all others? Help us to know you rightly and personally through the story that you're writing in our life right now. In the wilderness, may we know your presence is there. You have brought us right to where we are. You have a purpose in the mess of life. In your name we pray. Amen.